So this week, we're in the second part of a little mini-series that's uh, where we're talking about what it means in these right here, right now moments. When God meets us at a crossroads and says, I want you to go this way, and we have to decide what to do. Now this, is, this little mini-series is sandwiched between a four-week vision series that our lead pastor Kevin Eckert did in February, and then before he picks up in the book of Joshua next week. You're not going to want to miss we're headed in the book of Joshua. But this series, last week we looked at Moses and how Moses individually was met by God and God put him at a crossroads and he had a decision to make. This week we're going to look at a group of people, how God's people, when God called all of them at a crossroads and said, I want you as a group of people to follow me, how they responded to him. So if you've got your words, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Now I know for all of us here, we've all been a part of groups at some point, right? We've all been a part of teams and different things. Um, And there's a couple things. You've had good experiences probably and bad experiences with groups of people. You've had a group you were really excited to work with and you've had a group that you were not so excited to work with. But there's a couple things about working in teams and in groups. One thing is we want to be a part of a group that helps us accomplish something greater than we ever could have done on our own. Right? Those are the groups you get really excited about when you go, hey, we've accomplished something that's phenomenal. The second thing is you just say, Lord, help me not be the weak link in that group. I don't want to be the weak link. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I know I have. When I was in high school playing baseball, our team was pretty good. I wasn't a starter this particular year. And I wanted to be able to be in that starting lineup. My goal was by the end of the season, that final spot was going to be mine. And I began to work really, really hard. Stay late after practice. Coaches would hit me extra balls. I was going to be that last outfielder. And about 70% of the way through our district schedule, I still had not gotten that spot. And we were set to play our crosstown rival. Now, if you're in Wichita Falls, you're about two hours away from anything big. And so local sports rivalries are big throughout the whole city. Um, And we were fighting for a playoff spot. Our rival was fighting for a playoff spot. So this game was going to be huge. Coach calls me over before the game, says, hey, you're starting in right field. I got it. I got my spot. Now I'm going to get to go be a part of helping this team do something great against our crosstown rival. That was my first thought. My second thought was don't mess this up and don't be the weak link. Late in that game, we're winning by one or two runs. I don't remember how many. Bases are loaded. Two outs. The guy hits a pop-up over the second baseman's head, and I start charging because I'm in right field. I'm coming. I'm coming hard, and I can see it. I'm going to make this catch. We're going to go in. We're going to win this game, and I'm going to be one of the heroes of this game. I go, I got it. I got it, and I knew it was going to be hard, but I made a dive, and I was about a foot and a half short of catching that ball. I get up, pick up the ball, throw it in. Three runs had scored by that point. They now have a lead. And I look next to me, the second baseman is standing here looking at me, yelling at me. Because what I didn't see was the second baseman was standing under the ball waiting for it. And me as the outfielder, I called him off. So he moved out of the way because that's what you're supposed to do. He watched me dive for that ball when he could have caught it right there. We lost that game because I called him off. I experienced what it was like to be the weak link. 
And nobody wants to be a weak link, and nobody wants to be a weak link that leads to a weak chain. And in this passage this morning, we're going to look at what happens with weak links that lead to a weak chain within God's people. And so let's take a look at Numbers chapter 13. Verse 1 says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of the leaders. So then it goes on to name the leaders that are called out to be sent as the spies. So then in verse 16, skip down. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Now when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. For it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went and explored the land. It says they explored all the land. And as they were exploring the land, they find some of these grapes. And it says that they put them on a pole between two men. I don't know about you, but when I get a cluster of grapes, I don't need a pole with two men to carry it. This is some massive cluster of grapes, right? And then they've got other fruit that they bring back. And it says that they were gone for 40 days and they explored the land for 40 days. So the Lord said, hey, send these guys out. Moses gave them a bunch of things to look for. They go out, they explore. Then in verse 26, they come back. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey and here's its fruit. And they showed him the fruit. So right here, remember back to Exodus, what did God say? Where did he say he was going to send his people? He said, I'm sending you to a land flowing with milk and honey. What is their very first response? It is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. You know what they just said? The land is exactly as God told us it would be. God fulfilled his promise to bring us to a land flowing with milk and honey. What they should see in this moment, right, is that God kept his promise. Look at the very next words out of their mouth. Verse 28, but the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. So you've got Caleb, and eventually you're going to have Joshua who say, hey, we can go take this land. You've got the other ten who start spreading this story that it is not possible to take the land. If you read earlier, you, begin, you see that the number of people who came out of Egypt were 600,000 people. So you've got a massive group of people, 600,000 approximately here, 
that are waiting on these 12 to give them a report of the land. What do those verses say in verse 32? And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. Can you just imagine everybody waiting, like going, hey, have you gotten to talk to one of those 10? Yeah, those other two, those are Moses and Aaron's boys. I don't care about what they have to say. I want to hear the 10 that are really scared. I want, have you heard them? I want, have you gotten a chance to talk to them? I want to hear what they have to say. You can imagine the huddle of people around them listening to what they have to say. And then fear begins to come out. You ever been around a group where fear drives the train? There are some legitimate concerns that are factual, right? The people are huge. The walls are well fortified. Those are just facts. But with a little bit of the known and the information that begins to spread, you can only imagine what stories begin to spread among the whole of the people about the unknown. Right? Someone says they're huge and people start creating things in their mind about what these people must be like and what their walls must be like. There's an unknown fear and fear begins to drive the train. One of the favorite shows we love to watch with our kids is Winnie the Pooh. I don't know if you ever read any of those books or watched those shows with your kids or grandkids. You know, you've got Christopher Robin, who's this little boy, and he's got all his little character friends, Winnie the Pooh, who's a bear, and Piglet, and Eeyore, and Owl, and Rabbit, and they are in this forest called the Hundred Acre Wood. And it's Christopher Robin's adventures with these characters. And it, what happens in multiple episodes is that the characters begin to find something in front of them that creates fear. Maybe it's the dark, or being in the wilderness by themselves, or whatever the case may be. And out of these fears, their fear drives something else. And in their minds, they create these other characters, right? These other characters called heffalumps and woozles. These things that are not real, but in their mind, they become real. One of our favorite episodes is um, all the characters begin to go and look for Christopher Robin. And on his little playhouse door is a note And Owl is the only one that can read it. Owl reads it and says, Oh no, Christopher Robin's been taken by a Baxen. And all the characters go, What's a Baxen? What does it do? And Owl starts the parade of things and says, A Baxen does this and does this. And then he asks one of the other one, What do you think a Baxen does? And Pooh says, A Baxen does this. And by the time they're done, all of their fears have created the characteristics of this Baxen. In the rest of the episode, they're trying to save Christopher Robin from the Baxen and face their fear. At the very end, Christopher Robin comes back in. And they said, you're free from the Baxen. And he said, what's a Baxen? They said, the note on your door said, a Baxen. He said, no, my note said, I'll be back soon. And what he had intended as something to provide comfort for them, this note somehow created fear. You see here what the Lord had done? He said, I want you to go spy out the land, not so you can create fear, but so that you can see I have kept my promise and I'm taking you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And instead of seeing the promise of God and what was meant to provide comfort, they saw all the barriers that would prevent them from going in. Their fears created the backsend. These things that would lead them away from following the Lord rather than seeing what God intended to provide great comfort for them. Look where that fear drove them. 
Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord's pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid, but the whole assembly talked about stoning them. So you've got two totally different responses right here, don't you? You've got the people in their fear saying, we should go back to Egypt. Look at what their fear did. Their fear led them to long for something far less than God's best. And when we get caught and trapped in fear, we'll lead each other to a place that is far less than God's best for us as a people. See, in those fear moments, instead of pointing each other to who God is, we start pointing out all the barriers. And if they had started pointing each other back to the Lord, like what Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb were trying to do, it would have changed the whole situation. So think about it this way. Think about if all the people had gathered, the ten spies said it's not worth going into, what if some of the elder generation had stood up and said, we've been to Egypt and we've been enslaved for years. We saw the hand of God in every one of the plagues and we saw him deliver us. We've walked to the edge of the Red Sea where we thought we were surely done at that point. And the pillar of fire and smoke and the Lord protecting his people and then the Red Sea opening up and God providing a way where there was no way. We've seen God provide. And if they stood up and said, where there was no food in the wilderness, all of a sudden God provided for every one of us a way to eat. And where there was no water, the Lord provided and we've seen the Lord, even in our grumbling against him, provide over and over and over again. What do you think would have happened if some of the elder generation had said, we do not want to miss God's promise for us, and so we are ready to go in. Instead of leading out of fear, there likely would have been an assembly that said, we're going to follow because we trust them. They've been what we have not been. They've seen what we have not seen. And we're going to follow them together. See, what if their response had been Hebrews 10, 23 through 25? These verses that you know, verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we have for he who promised is faithful. What if there had been some of the elder generation that said, we're going to hold on to the hope because we've seen God fulfill his promises. And so we're going to anchor into that truth. 
In verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, right? How do we help each other move toward the Lord instead of moving toward the barriers that we see as impossible to overcome? In verse 25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What if their response had been one of encouragement? Hey, I know there's real barriers here. I know there's real fear. I know there's things that are unknown. But the God that we follow, he has always been faithful to every one of his promises. Let's encourage one another forward rather than sitting in our fear. So that when we find pockets of fear, when the Lord calls us out, if we would commit to one another to say, let us encourage one another all the more to see the faithfulness of God over the circumstances that bring about our fear. When they bring a different result rather than just walking in fear. But instead, they ended in verse 10 with the whole assembly talking about stoning Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. And the Lord's had enough by this point. It says, And the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all the miraculous signs I've performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Do you see this? Like the Lord's response in this moment was where his people had rebelled against him and he was done. And he said, hey, they have crossed me again. And have chosen rebellion against me rather than following me into the land that I've promised them. Moses, I'm just going to strike them all down and start over with you. Moses responds by saying, Lord, please forgive. Lord, you've been patient with your people to this point. Please forgive. And you get to verse 20. And the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but diso who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who's treating me with contempt will ever see it, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Since the Amalekites and Canaanites are living in the valleys, turn back tomorrow and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Look, the Lord in His grace, what does it say? He forgave them. He provided forgiveness of their rebellion once again. At Moses' request, He forgave the people. So here's the reality. God still forgave, but what happened? They faced stiff consequences. There were still consequences for rebellion. There was not a lack of forgiveness, but there was still consequence. See, what happens sometimes is we believe once, if we seek the Lord, he'll provide forgiveness and then the consequences will be eliminated. Somehow we equate forgiveness with an elimination of consequences. And right here, the Lord has shown he was gracious to forgive, but his people were still going to miss out on what he had promised them because they chose to rebel against him. He told him, he said, go back out. Head back out into the, into the wilderness. 
because you're going to spend more time there because of your unwillingness to follow me. This would be a heavy burden and a heavy load. The Lord's not done telling them what all will happen. Look at verse 26. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. In this desert, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in the census and who's grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But you, your bodies will fall in this desert. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. For 40 years, one year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know that it is like what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community which is banded together against me. They will meet their end in this desert. Here they will die. Do you catch that consequence? Do you catch the weight of what was settling on the people in that moment? See, God had called them to something better. And because of their rebellion, because they had weak links that led to a weak chain, they chose not to follow the Lord. And in that rebellion, the Lord said, not one of you are going to see the promised land. See, when we read this from our context, and we hear that the people missed out on the blessing of the Lord. They experienced forgiveness, but they missed out on the blessing. We tend to think, we can, we can get our minds confused and think missing the blessing was equivalent to getting one scoop of ice cream on our ice cream cone instead of two. Right? That it's just something minor. Oh, well, I could have gotten two, but I guess I'll take the one. That's okay. Missing the blessing here was missing everything that God intended for them. These people would carry this weight when they would sit around the fire at night in the wilderness. You can only imagine what the generation that would miss the promised land would think. They'd look at their kids and their grandkids, watch them during the day tend the flocks and say, there was something better for my kids. And they're eventually going to take the promise that God had given, but for now, they're stuck out here keeping the flocks. My kids missed out because of my rebellion. You sit around the fire and you, you can imagine the conversations that would happen at that point. of Those who are going to miss it saying, look, let me tell you the faithfulness of God. I am not going to see the promised land, but you, you follow the Lord and you will see it. Telling future generations, don't miss God's work. Because you know what God did here. He took what he wanted to do with that generation and that group of people and he said, if you're not going to do it, I don't need you to accomplish it. I'll accomplish it with somebody else. This ought to stir within every one of our hearts. God will meet us at our right here, right now moments. He will meet our church at a right here, right now moment at a crossroads where we can follow him. But if we are unwilling to stand up and follow, he'll say, I'll go somewhere else and work with them because somebody else will follow me. I don't know about you, but that settles heavy on my heart. 
I don't want to miss what God has for me individually, and I don't want to miss what God has for us collectively. I don't want fear to drive the train. Whatever barriers look ahead, I don't want to keep those to keep me from trusting the Lord. I don't want to be the weak link that drives others to become weak links that creates a weak chain. If we'll individually pursue the Lord, like we talked about last week with Moses, then collectively we've got strong links that say, let's help encourage each other to move toward the Lord and follow Him wherever He leads. And that prevents from getting to a place where we miss out on what God's best is for us. Because you see, they had a window of opportunity to follow. If you go on and keep reading the passage, it talks about the people saying, um, they, the, the ten spies who led the people astray, they died of a plague. And all the people recognized in that moment, we have sinned against God. So what's their next move? Okay, Lord, we know we missed it, so let's go take the land. We're ready to go now. And Moses tells them, says, nope, you missed your window. You missed your opportunity of obedience. God's not leading you into the land now. You've got 40 years in the desert. And they said, oh no, we're ready now. And they began to follow and began to, they took off for battle. And you can guess what happened. They were defeated and pushed back because they missed their window of opportunity to follow the Lord. When we face these right here, right now moments, frequently there's windows of opportunity for us to say, yes, Lord. That when we pursue the Lord, if we will pursue Him to a place where He has our yes before He ever gives the step, hey, Kurt, I want you, yes. Whatever it is, yes. Because we want to follow you. Because we know that you are faithful. Because we know that you keep your promise. Because we know that we can hold unswervingly to the hope that we have. Because you are always faithful to every direction you lead. If we would be a people that respond that way individually, then when we gather collectively and God says, I want you to go this way, we all are saying yes before he ever says where the direction is. And we do not end up in a place of being forgiven, but living in the consequences of our rebellion. See, one of the things about my story with the baseball team, thankfully that didn't cause us to miss everything. We didn't miss the playoffs. We made the playoffs. But immediately that week, we started a new drill. Our coach affectionately called it the Sparkman drill. (laughs) Where he would hit pop-ups between the infield and outfield, and we'd have to practice how to catch them and how to make those plays. And we did that multiple times for the next couple weeks till we got into the playoffs. And I can tell you multiple times that practice paid off for us in the playoffs. There were some times where we made catches that we might not have otherwise made if we had not been practicing that drill. You know what we did? We learned from the mistakes that I had made. You know what we get to do from the Scripture? God has given us over and over again stories of people who have rebelled against him or people who have followed him. And what we can do in our generation is say, God, help us learn from them. Let us not make the same mistakes. 
You've always been faithful. We can go through the pages of your word and see your faithfulness over and over and over again. When your people faced fear over and over and over again, never once did you abandon them. So God, when you call us, help us learn from your people and be willing to go in wherever you call us to go, knowing that you are faithful and you are worthy to be trusted. You know, a phrase I pray we never have to hear from the Lord is in verse 35 of chapter 14. When the Lord talks about this community which is banded together against me. That fear led them to band together against the Lord. May we never be a church family that bands together against the Lord. But may we always be a church family who bands together to follow the Lord faithfully wherever He leads. If we will faithfully follow the Lord individually, we'll become a church body that will see the Lord do among us what we can never ask or imagine. We'll see Him lead us through difficulties that are very real but we'll see the blessing on the other side. And we'll get there and say, God, I can't imagine not following you here. Let's be a people who band together to follow the Lord wherever he leads.